If the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. God wants to finish the story. And the very thing that we would love, He enfolds in Himself all that would bring joy and life and peace to us. Welcome to Keep the Main Thing, a podcast of sermons and messages from Pastor Leland Evenson. I'm Mark Evenson. Over the next few podcasts, we will be speaking with Pastor Jedediah Sharmer. Pastor Sharmer is the lead pastor at Resurrection Church in Monticello, Minnesota. Resurrection was the last church my father worked at towards the end of his 60 plus years in ministry. Here's that conversation with Pastor Jedediah. Today I'm here with Pastor Jedediah Sharmer, who worked with my father for the last part of his ministry. I thought it would be great for Jedediah to share some of the thoughts he had of working with my father over these last several years. Jedediah, thanks for getting on the show with us. Hey, thanks for having me here, Mark. Looking back on your time with my dad, maybe just take us back to when you started back in 2010 here at Resurrection Church and having a chance to then start working with Pastor Lee. I came in in 2010 right out of uh, seminary. I'd spent a couple years in outdoor camping ministry and and preaching there on Sundays and leading young people um, in ministry, but I hadn't been really uh, immersed in congregational ministry. I had done some part-time stuff over the winters uh, during my camping time, but really coming to Resurrection Pastor Lee was already a fixture here for 10 years by the time I got here. And uh, coming in as the lead pastor to a guy who had been uh, preaching for 50 years already and on this staff for 10, um, I was, to be honest, pretty intimidated by your dad. He was uh, a man of few words often uh, in conversation, but when Lee was going to tell you something, you... You knew he had thought that through and had prepared it uh, and was ready to share what you needed to hear. So I, um, I looked up to him quite a bit, even in my first couple years here. I was the lead pastor. I just called him the senior pastor because he was older than me. <laughs> so you got to hear my dad preach a few times as uh, you were getting settled in. Maybe there, what were there a couple things that came away when you, you first heard one of his sermons? And I think many people will tell you, Pastor Lee was the consummate three-point message guy, right? He, had, he always had three uh, words that started with P or D or S, or it didn't really matter, but he, he strung together a really structured three-point message, always typically starting with the same letter. And they weren't throwaways. I mean, I've, I've heard some pastors that make the letters work uh, but Pastor Lee really had an art for putting those uh, together well, and, and preaching was a craft. And so I know Lee spent a lot of time uh, reading and studying and praying uh, to get to where he was. And he was finally polished when I started hearing him 50 years in. Pastor, the next sermon that everyone's going to hear is a sermon that was titled Jesus Incognito, and I believe it has to do with his first trip, really, to India, Bangladesh. 
Yeah, and he, you listen to that, and he goes back and tells these stories of what that was like um, and the humility that he felt, um, the places that he was really honored by people that he came across, and then really heartbroken by some of the poverty uh, and the, the pain that he saw and had to walk through. He tells a story uh, at, towards the end of this sermon about having dad taken off his shoes to go through the mud to get to a church gathering. They were going to bring the church to them, but he thought, well, he's an old farm boy. If it just means walking through mud, let's take off the shoes and stockings, he called them, and walk through the mud and get there. He got back to the hotel, and within a couple days, he had a big infection in his toe. And you could hear, Pastor Lee, in that telling the emotion that came with that as he called out to his to God to his father to Jesus to to heal him because he wanted to spend a couple days relaxing on the beach and being out there but he knew the pain that people were going through around him and yet he asked God to be particular and specific and heal him even though he was going to spend some time on the beach uh, he wanted that as well and so being in that place of great places of destitution and and pain and people that were not healed and yet the emotionality that it brought to him to ask for healing that he might be able to to also enjoy the goodness of God and being on the beach and some relaxation um, he really ties himself to these words this isn't for pastor lee he wasn't talking about a religion he wasn't talking about a faith that everyone has or anyone has. He was talking about a real personal relationship he had with Jesus, and he was inviting you to experience it in the same way for yourself. Thank you, Jedediah. Now here is Pastor Leland Evenson delivering Jesus Incognito, November 22nd, 1987. Oh Lord, you are so good. What a difference you make. Sometimes some of us have to go through a lot of things before we recognize and realize that you are the one that really makes a difference for us. That without you, we really only exist and not really live. We only live from hand to mouth. We only think about food and about our physical being. But Lord, you have blessed us in order that we can be a blessing as we're reminded in that gospel today. We're not meant to be pleasure cruisers but cargo carriers. It's meant to be for delivery, to lose our lives and what we are and have and ministering to others. Help us to remember that this morning as we come into your house. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> what a difference. Tears came into my eyes as I <clears throat> landed at the airport.
I could have been born, where I could have lived, where I could have spent last night sleeping on some street or in that railroad station in Calcutta, which I'll never forget, or even trying to sleep on the ticket counter where a couple of our men found a man wondering how he could sleep on a narrow ledge that was six inches. What a difference. To have a passport to this country, never again will I complain about having to pay 40% of my salary and taxes. What a difference to be able to get into a nice car and to drive home without hearing a horn honk once, without a sense of crowdedness and people in front of you who are walking or riding bikes, bullock carts to watch out for, horns continually, more horns, noise, monoxide, confusion, and dust. What a difference. What a difference to come into a house where probably 30 or 40 people would live in another country and two of us are living. To be able to turn a thermostat and to have heat. What a difference to go into a bathroom and not wonder whether you can drink the water and to wet your toothbrush, to have hot and cold, to get up this morning never did a bowl of cold cereal taste so good, or hot toast with peanut butter. What a difference it is. A woman came to India and she was prejudiced against missions. She wondered what we were doing over there, what, why Christians were going into the land of India and Bangladesh and the third world countries. She said to one of our men as they were riding into the Taj Mahal, she said, I've been here a week. Now I realize and recognize that anything you can do in terms of mission work should be done. For I've seen the difference that it can make and needs to make in this place and in this culture. What a difference to have to live in those places where you just sense what a different view they have of God or their gods, where they have as many gods as there are people, where you drive along the road and there's always some kind of statue or some kind of a homemade God or somebody who is carrying something to offer to God. What a difference the reality of a living God can make in a country and in a person's life. Holy men who are sitting there ringing their bells and breaking their flowers and throwing petals on their head, bargaining with a woman who wants her offering blessed and wondering how much she has to pay him, spinning the prayer wheels trying to get some kind of answer from an unknown God, a God without a face, as one Muslim wrote, is what they worship. What a difference to live in that kind of darkness when seeing them going down by the river, seeing the cremations of the dead bodies and offering their flowers on the river and trying to bathe in the river trying to appease their gods in one way or another. What a difference. 
it is to come back. What a difference to be loved. To come in here in the morning and to see the wonderful sign above the door for us. To come into my office and see a desk that has been refinished by loving hands. Hours and hours of work and the balloons and the signs. What a difference to have a sense of being loved rather than to be a ten-year-old who is sent out of the home because they don't have room for him and he has to fend for himself. What a difference to be among those who love you rather than to be left destitute and dying and hopefully to be picked up by the ministry of Mother Teresa or something like that. What a difference to come here on a Sunday morning, to come in a sense of freedom and not wonder like some of the pastors in Nepal who we met with who have been hauled into court, at least one of them a couple of times, being suspect in terms of his freedom to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus. What a difference to be home, to be rich. What a difference it hopefully will make in our lives, as we heard in our gospel text. For the know of the living God is to see people in a different way. To see God's hand that wants to move among us as we saw God's hand certainly on our trip in so many, many ways. I saw it in the beginning when we got to the airport. My name was mentioned over the loudspeaker. I thought I already, 15 minutes or a half hour, I'm gone and the church is already calling me. How will they ever get along without me? <clears throat> but it was not the church. It was Northwest. They said they had my tickets and my passport that somehow had, had gotten lost and someone had picked it up. Now, there are many stories that are going to go around about that. <clears throat> One of them will be that I deliberately lost them and threw them in a corner so I wouldn't have to go. Another will be that the men had heard what kind of a traveling companion I am from Clay Jensen and deliberately lost it so they wouldn't have to take me along. Somewhere in the middle of that, there may be the truth. But God found that passport through a sky chief even before I knew I had lost it. And that could have been the end of my trip right there. And so we saw that he was in control in many, many ways. Even the timing of being able to get out of Bangladesh the day before they had the sit-down strikes, and taxis were not running to the airport, and some of the airlines were not working. To get out of the railroad station while they were still chanting and marching before they had their sit-down strike a few minutes after we left. To meet Mother Teresa in such a place that we never thought we would meet her and able to greet her personally. They ask for our prayers for her ministry. To see his healing on us from time to time when it seemed that one at a time we would take turns being sick for a day and yet never sick that we couldn't move and yet even gone after one day. To see the difference he makes as we see his hand 
moving in many ways. The difference he can make even in the fellowship of those people there who love and know the Lord. What a difference it is to see those fellowships, to see those people gathered around the Lord Jesus. We can learn from them too. Learn how to minister. <clears throat> Last Monday morning, our first call out was to a certain fellowship, and when we got there, the gospel worker came to, to meet us down by the road, and him and Pastor Rao started to talk and discuss. I couldn't figure out what was going on for a while. He simply stood there. I wondered why we weren't going to where their church or their fellowship was. I found out that it was two blocks away through mud and water knee-deep. And that Pastor Rao was trying to convince him that probably these Americans would not be too great at walking through that and that they should bring the church to us. When I finally understood what it was about, I said, Rao, well, let's go. If, that's, if it's only some mud in the way, let's go. So we took off our shoes and stockings and began to wade through the water and the mud up to our knees. But it was worth it. We got to them some beautiful people who immediately washed our feet who put down some burlap bags in order that after our feet were washed, they wouldn't again get dirty. Who in the bright, hot sun and humidity held umbrellas over our head or anything else to shade us as we had the service there. Offered us a bottle of pop and a half a banana because that's where they were at, and their bananas are only half as big as ours to begin with. And then on the way back, they would take our hand, one on each side, the young men, so we didn't fall in the mud. One never forgets that kind of experience. That symbolizes a lot for those of you who are called to be Stephen's minister. First of all, it calls you to a willingness to get your feet dirty, to do what you can to go where the people are, not to ask the people to come to you, as Pastor Rao was saying to the gospel worker, bring the church here so these poor Americans don't have to get their feet dirty. To be in ministry as Christians and as Stephen's minister is to go where people are. What an experience it was to go there and to dedicate their church, which was simply some a thatched roof with some poles into the ground. At this point, because of all the rains, it was in mud. To break ground for a well that one of the families in this congregation <clears throat> will be sponsoring and building. But we are called to get our feet dirty. Secondly, the second thing it teaches me that we simply use what we can and do what we can, whether it's holding the shade over someone 
or to balance someone as they walk through the mud, to hold them on either side. Now, we need, there needs to be a humbleness. As each of us men felt kind of silly having these young men hold us by the hands on each side, and yet we were doing them a favor and allowing them to minister to us. So we too who need ministry need to have a willingness to let people hold our hands as we walk through the difficulties and through mud in our lives, which is in a sense different from us, for us than for them. They did what they could. Up in Bangladesh, we went to a Santali village. And there too they washed our feet and received us in a warm, wonderful way. Turned their village and had us sit down for their tea and for their puffed rice and for some rice balls put together by some molasses and some other things. To sit in their little mud huts. They did what they could. In one sense for them that was a sacrifice. And one can learn that often that those who are poor <clears throat> are more willing to share than those who are richly blessed. And I was convicted of seeing their willingness to lay out their very best in what they had, to give of themselves for them to sacrifice was simply to give a bottle of pop or a cup of tea or a rice ball. What a difference. To see those who work there, you wonder what makes them tick. We met them all over the place. Muriel, who is the administrator at that hospital, who comes from Scotland. Priscilla, who is a surgeon there. Betsy, we met at an Asantal mission, who had served, came from Norway, and given 40 years of her life, as Naomi did. Nancy, who has a Master of Theology and a nursing degree and yet served simply as our hostess as we stayed up at the Lamb Hospital, serving us in whatever way she could. You wonder why so many of those who are missionaries now are the children of missionaries. But maybe it's because they see in a greater way the difference they make, the difference they see in their parents make in living and ministering in the name of Jesus in that place. Half of those we met were children of missionaries. And one had to wonder why they were willing to live in that kind of an environment. And yet the thing that came come back to me is simply because they could see the impact of their lives and of their ministry and of the freedom and the power of the gospel in that great darkness. Because you sense a heaviness over the whole land. The minute you hit the, the airport in Delhi, you just sense an oppressiveness, a darkness. You just get so tired of these dead, cold temples here and there all over the place. You swear you'll scream if you'll see another one because they're just simply decorations on the outside with really nothing on the inside. And so they go there. To do what they can. 
And that's what you sensed about what one person can do as we visited the orphanage of Mother Teresa where over 300 children. <clears throat> one never forgets seeing these two young white gals with these little babies lovingly massaging their legs with oil and, and, and doing therapy to build up some muscle and strength. Never will I forget that picture. Never will I forget a picture of this man from Scotland who's, who feeds this destitute person in the home for the, for the dead and the dying. And I said, why are you here? He said, I thought my wife and I had everything, and now I've come here and realized we didn't. And somehow he found, in ministering to the least of these, he found something of what life is about. And that's what we need to learn, not having to go to India, but day by day in our own lives. And what is the bottom line? What difference should he make in our lives? And the difference comes out in this gospel lesson that the difference should make that we see people differently. We see them, superimpose on them the image of God. As, as someone shared with me the, the night before I left about a devotion that said that we reminded that he created everyone in his image. What a difference. I saw him there. I saw him in the men I went with. What a rich experience to learn together, to love one another, to share together, to pray together, to cry together, to laugh together, to roast one another together, to see one another's patience tested by those taxi drivers who a couple of our men, I just wondered whether they were going to murder him or not. They had a sense of no complaining about getting up at 2 o'clock or 4 o'clock to catch a train or a bus. I saw him in that kind of fellowship together. How heartwarming it was to see again the impact of Ed's life Ed and Karen from our congregation who ministered in Bangladesh, even coming back now these years later, you could see the fruits of his ministry. I kidded him. I said, I thought people in construction didn't know how to relate to people. They only could build buildings, but, but he had built lives, him and Karen. And the fruits of that were still there. I think of this one young man who took us around to, to, to his maintenance and to the generators and to that area that in which Ed had trained and discipled him, and he was doing his ministry in the name of Jesus in that way, and how Ed was wined and dined and taken. He could relate well to the natives as also to, to the missionaries who were there and to the officials of the land. What a heartwarming experience it was for me to see how much they had loved Ed and Karen and their family. What a difference their lives and ministry meant in that place. The fruits were there to be seen. What a difference. To go to the hospitals that in Jesus' name have been started, the hospital in Nepal where six to 800 outpatients are seen every day. 
to be able to stand in that operating room, to put on a gown and mask and stand and watch Priscilla do her surgery with those loving hands as if she were doing it on to Jesus, to this native person, to see the skill with which she opened and closed the wound, to be able to stand there and see how Jesus was ministered to that person. The hospital in Santal which the Lutheran Church has invested in heavily in the Lutheran world I have a whole new appreciation for the Lutheran World Federation for the work we as Lutherans have done around the world even in building there and building a new addition onto that hospital what a difference place of darkness, a place of heaviness, a place where you wonder if it does any good. There are those oases of light and love and evangelism in the name of Jesus. What a difference when you love the Lord. I wondered if they'd still be there. It was a quarter to 11 when we got there. It was two miles of road where part of it we had to get out and walk in front of the car and the lights to see the way. And yet when we got there, we heard music and singing. They had put down rice hulls in the mud so that we wouldn't get our feet as dirty. And there they were with two fluorescent light bulbs to give them light and bugs so thick you could hardly see the people and yet they'd been sitting there for two hours waiting for us to come in his name to administer his love to have our prayers what a difference he makes the people in the midst of those circumstances would praise the Lord would sense his difference in their lives with that kind of tenacity to be willing to wait for two hours till a quarter at eleven at night to praise him. What a difference you can make as Stephen's ministers. A difference you can make in the lives of others. Mother Teresa says, I've come to realize that it's being unwanted that's the worst disease that any human being can ever experience. For all kinds of diseases, there are medicines and cures. But for being unwanted, except where there are willing hands to serve and a loving heart to love, I don't think this terrible disease can ever be cured. That's your call as Stephen's ministers. And as all of us, as members of the body of Christ, be the kind of people who see other people and see and superimpose the image of God, the one that God would send his son to die for, to see their individual worth. And that's difficult. It's difficult here. It's certainly doubly difficult there. It's easy to become hardened, to be, get so used to the beggars and to the deformities 
and to all that's there, to the crowdedness, you just want to get away, you just want to scream and find some kind of an oasis, and yet to be reminded that for each one of them, but even here where we're not as crowded, there's a lot of loneliness. And I'll never, I never forget that Ziggy cartoon where by his mailbox there's a sign in large letters that says, For Sale, Love Seat. Underneath in parentheses it says, Never Used. There are a lot of people in this world who have love seats that are never used. A lot of people I saw who are not loved, who have to shift for themselves, who are used and abused, who simply are surviving from hand to mouth day by day. But you don't have to go to India for that. That's here. Some of you could be sitting here this morning, a love seat not used. Some of you need that someone to love you. All of us from time to time need that love seat to be used. Stephen's ministers is one way that that can happen. The willingness on their part to sit with us and to love us. Times of sorrow such as some of us have gone through. Times of difficulty. Times of hopelessness. There are times <clears throat> we get discouraged. Times you wonder whether it's worth it all. Last Saturday night that came. The plane that was supposed to go at 10 o'clock in the morning was scheduled for 6 o'clock, finally left at 9 o'clock on Saturday night. Got, got into the city at 11.30 and then spent all night riding on a bus till Sunday morning at 6.30, and I got off that bus. It was dark and cloudy and rainy and muddy, and I thought, why in the world did this mission committee ever send us out here? What are we doing here? Knowing that no way would I see a bed for many, many hours. But as we rode in the taxi another hour to get to Rao's place, there they were, Forty orphans all dressed who'd been up since three o'clock in the morning excited, neatly dressed and combed with a sign above the gate and their smiling faces in excitement. The discouragement goes because you realize that he was there, that Jesus was there to greet us in those lovely beautiful boys and girls who even to have a touch of your hand was a tremendous kind of experience for them. He was there and he makes a difference. Sometimes when you wonder whether it's worth it in ministry, what you're doing in ministry. He brings those rewards in a variety of ways into your hearts. For the greatest reward is to see a sense of fulfillment, 
to recognize we're here to be care packages. That God has richly blessed us. And I was so grateful that our congregation is at least making some kind of an effort to, to give sacrificially in terms of missions. And I am more convinced than ever that we need to get it up to 50% at least. And our prayer needs to be more faithful for those who are in ministry because sometimes you wonder if the thing will, will even make it, whether we will go under. When you come into a country where such a fraction of 800 million are Christians, and yet God takes the two or the two fish and a few loaves, he takes the two coins and he blesses it. He is faithful to his word and to his ministry. God is alive, as we, in the epistle, remind that we serve a living Lord, and he makes a difference. And I suppose it was symbolized both at the beginning in the lost passport and in the end. When after our ministry down in southern India, we had looked forward to two days of R&R, of being in Delhi for a day, and then to the Taj Mahal. But Tuesday night... We got into Delhi, and I had an infected big toe from walking through the mud. It was huge, and it was red. And Ed Scott, who was our doctor in residence, realized there was an infection creeping up my foot as I could see the red streaks. Wondering even about blood poisoning, and I was wondering for the next two days I would spend it lying on a bed or in a hospital having to take the toenail off to get up the infection. But as they prayed and as I went to sleep that night, I said, Lord, I know in the midst of 800 million people, it's pretty small to have asked you <coughs> to heal a big toe. But I'm really here, and I would really like <coughs> to enjoy a couple of days. And again, <clears throat> the Lord was so good. As we'd seen him be with us on the trip and healing in so many ways. And so by the next morning, that which I couldn't even walk on the night before, it completely reversed, and I could enjoy the next two days with never even a feeling of pain, because that's how big God is. But in the midst of 800 million people, he knows us individually, and he knows our individual ministry, as we heard in this point on, on the gospel lesson. reminded of the story, and I close with that, of Henry Norton Russell, the great astronomer, and he described the vastness of our universe and how big it is and how many galaxies there are, and so someone came up after the lecture and said, Professor Russell, can we really believe in this vast and great expanse that God pays any attention to us? And Professor Russell said, that depends on how big a God do you believe in. I believe in a big God, and even a bigger God, having gone on this trip. 
God who can love 800 million or a billion people, whose heart bleeds for every one and for every one of us and for every one of them, who has blessed us because we do acknowledge him, certainly not the way we should, certainly not with the faithfulness we should as stewards, and certainly his call is to more faithfulness, whether here or abroad, as Stephen's ministers and as members of the body of Christ. To see Jesus incognito. To see that if he really makes a difference in our lives, the difference will be revealed in how we minister to other people. For that's the last judgment the fruits of the reality of whether we know Jesus and recognize him on the cross and as a living Lord is whether we see him. So we are willing to do it unto the least of these, my brethren, and we do it unto him, and to his glory and his honor. Amen. Lord, forgive us forever complaining and grumbling and hurting and isolating and forgetting. For there are people in our very midst who we work with, who we live among, who we worship with. We have love seats that are not used. Help us, Lord, to see you in each, and that as we minister unto them, we minister unto you. In your name, Lord. Amen. Once again, I want to thank Pastor Sharmer for his time. We will pick up our conversation with him next time on Keep the Main Thing, Sermons and Messages from Pastor Leland Evenson.